One of the things that we've discussed quite recently is the notion that language is a complex system of abbreviations. And abbreviations serve a very important purpose in enabling us to say a lot by saying a little, a theme that we've touched on before. One of the advantages of something like mathematics is that we can do a lot with a little, we can say a lot by saying very little, and we can obtain a handle on a lot by doing relatively little. And those of you with long memories and lots of patience may remember that hundreds of episodes ago, I talked about William von Humboldt, who had the idea that a lot of this is about grasping the infinite with the finite or attempting to do so. Now, my mention of motivational thinking in a few episodes before this and in the last one reminded me that the difficulty with that is where you stop. But the difficulty arises from what I suppose we might call the opposite direction from the problem of abbreviation. If we decide that we're going to talk about, well, I'm just walking through a field of potatoes, and I can say it's a field of potatoes, or I could say it's a field of green plants planted in long rows in mounds with gullies between them, which produces a root crop that we all eat, or I could say something about, I don't know, DNA and chlorophyll, as I mentioned the other day. I could go down and down and down. And so in order to say I'm walking through a field of potatoes, I would need to say a great deal more, and even so much that I'd never get to saying anything else, which some of you might think a blessing. But leaving that one side, what about if we go the other way? If we go the other way, someone could say, all right, you, you've said in the last episode that you quite like there to be motivational sections in all the Wikipedia articles, indeed in most articles, if not all, things that attempt to tell us what we're doing and why we're doing it. So that in the case of manifolds, where there is such a section, we're told about mappings and we're told about the ways in which we can create things that are called charts and a collection of charts is an atlas in more or less the sense in which we use the word atlas of the world and the world can't be represented in one chart for reasons I won't go into it always has to have two intersecting at the minimum in one point where the two charts join together because if we don't show how they join together then we just have two separate charts and it isn't clear at all that it is an atlas of the world. Atlases of course consist of a sequence of charts or a collection of charts with their relationship. Alright, well that helps to understand manifolds at a certain level. But somebody could say, alright, that's fine, that, as far as it goes. 
But why do we want to understand manifolds? Why do, we un- why do we need the concept of a chart? Why do we need the concept of an atlas? Isn't the straightforward interpretation of an atlas as an atlas good enough? Why do we want to generalize it? And here, of course, we come across something that mathematics, of all the human studies, sciences, whatever you want to call it, is the consummate example, because mathematicians generalize. And they often generalize in ways such as we were discussing an episode or two ago that involve first climbing into a tree using the ladder, then discovering where the tree's strength and roots really lie and kicking the ladder away so that we can no longer see the route that they took, the other kind of route, into the tree because the ladder is no longer there. They have effectively erased the thinking they have thrown away and buried their waste paper baskets. I'm sure I've made the point, but I do think it's a very important point because it happens wherever we erase the motivational material. And the motivational material can, as I said at the beginning, go up, up and up and up. We can say we're studying manifolds for this reason why does that matter well for another reason which is at a sort of higher level than that because we want to understand something that proves to be enormously powerful generalized in mathematics in something like a riemann manifold differential geometry and the like and then somebody can say i i see that why do you want to do that And somebody's going to say, well, because if I do that, I can do this. I can do Einstein's theory of general relativity, which I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Because it needs those Riemannian manifolds and the tensors and other things that go with them. And somebody says, why does it matter to you to understand Einstein's general theory of relativity? and so on, and you can keep going, climbing this greasy pole to higher and higher levels. And the question of where you might stop is very much like the question of what you regard as a self-justifying, self-satisfying, self-authenticating leaf that lies not just at the end of a branch, but at the highest possible level to which you could possibly ask the question, why? And the reason why I started off by talking about language and abbreviation is that we usually don't indulge ourselves with that very, very high tower, like a Tower of Babel. It's like that illustration of Babel that is often accompanies Dante's Inferno. Why do we aspire to these very, very high levels of understanding. Well, a mathematician to whom it comes relatively easily, not easily for reasons I've talked about, would say that it provides an extraordinary level of abbreviation. It allows us to grab hold of and talk about things of extraordinary uh, generality 
in fact, when Riemann first delivered his thesis about Riemann, that led to Riemannian geometry, although it, of course, has gone a lot further since, he, the paper that he delivered is still regarded as extraordinarily abstruse. Because once you get habituated to this kind of abbreviation, you don't think it any more remarkable that you can talk about Riemannian manifolds or what do they call grebes? Is it? I don't, I've forgotten what the word is now. There's some very obscure thing that uh, quantum field theorists like to talk about. You talk about them with as little self-consciousness as we, the rest of us, would talk about tables and chairs and roads and pathways and potato fields. Because all the concepts that are piggybacking on them, all the ideas that are implicit in them, and which we could, were we so minded, tease out, are for you, with the great mind that you have, always present. So that you don't need to say a table has legs and possibly leaves. You don't need to do all that because just to use the word table or to use the word Riemannian phrase, Riemannian manifold, makes all that present to you. But only because you filled a lot of waste paper baskets getting to that level. People will sometimes say to me, how do you manage to open your mouth and have all the words come out in the right order? And I have no idea what the answer to that question is, except that it depends upon a lot of practice and having done similar things many times before in ways that are not dissimilar from whatever it is that the exceptional mathematician can do with some of these abstract concepts. The mathematician's mind produces equations and formulae and ideas that come out in the right order and in ways that the lesser mortals among us, mathematically so, simply find awe-inspiring and completely beyond us so that not only do we not understand the process of their generation, we usually don't understand what they mean even when they've been said or written and published. And so we have a peculiar double abbreviation. There is the abbreviation that could be opened up downwards towards the DNA and the chlorophyll, and there's the abbreviation that is always opened upwards to higher and higher levels of motivation to answers to the question why that we, some of us at least, either never ask or even were we to ask them, wouldn't be much enlightened by the answer. Because if somebody says, I suppose you, we were to ask this question of someone like Ed Witten, I suspect the answer that he would give to why Riemannian manifolds matter to him would be couched in language even more abstruse, even more general, even at a higher level than the language of Riemannian manifolds that most of us don't get in the first place. So, 
asking for an explanation is usually asking for an explanation that is couched in terms we to some extent have already grasped and in the absence of such an explanation there's not much that can be said because it's impossible to understand something where the tendrils of the explanation don't reach out, down or up into territory that we already have some level of comfort with. We just don't get it. And of course the other side of that, which I just mentioned before I stop, is that if we go back to my geographical example, you can draw uh, an atlas of the world consisting of at least two maps, charts, which must, in order for their relationship to be clear, share at least one point. Someone may say, well, to understand manifolds, here's an example of an atlas consisting of a collection of charts, and the atlas entails showing how the charts relate to one another and the charts collectively cover the whole of the space that we're interested in. A bit like a physical geographical atlas of the earth. And somebody like me may say, well I'm very grateful for this, it helps to understand what a manifold is, and somebody who really does know what a manifold is may well say, well, you only think that it helps you understand what a manifold is. It helps you to understand it at a very rudimentary level at which it can be explained in terms as simple as charts of countries and an atlas that shows how they fit together. You might think that that's an understanding of a manifold, but it isn't really because it doesn't generalise. You've, you've picked on something specific, but really you need to generalise that to all kinds of extra dimensions, and the manifold as you've described it will only have some of the properties that a manifold will be characterised by if you can get your head around that far greater generality. And somebody who needs examples may nevertheless say, yes, but a bit like Golan Trevitz, a bit like abductive leaps. From an example, I can, if I work hard enough at it, build up an intuition that will indeed tell me something that really comes very close to being an image of a Riemannian manifold. And one of the things I've often wondered but never got a clear answer to from those of whom I speak is whether even the really very, very advanced mathematicians don't keep themselves, as you might say, grounded, anchored by referencing backwards and forwards to simple examples that help them to see what the heck they're doing. Do they really live and breathe in these abstract realms where it's impossible to visualise and all you have are a set of rules and how you follow them? 
Well, we've talked about this before. And it's beyond me completely how you could do that, how you could have a set of rules that would enable you to go on when you don't know how to go on. Thank you for listening.